Today we're going to continue in, um, continue in Romans uh, chapter 12. We're going to be looking at verse 16 today. Verse 16. If you could put it up on the, the screen there. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud. Instead, associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Do not be wise in your own. Live in harmony. Live in peace. Before we come to the word, let us just pray. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, that we can be here this morning. We thank you for your grace. Again, we thank you that your salvation goes through generation to generation, from faith to faith. Help us this morning now just to attune into your word. Give me the right words to say. May what I say be honoring and glorifying to you. Help us to understand uh, further uh, the importance of humility. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Live in harmony with one another. Live in harmony with one another. Um, when I was looking at this passage of Scripture, I thought what I always like to do is look at different translations that can help us uh, get a better understanding of what's been said. Uh, so what I want to do first is just go through this four points here. Four points. Four. Four. Four points of what the Apostle Paul lists. So there's, the first one is to live in harmony with one another. The second one is do not be proud. The third one is to associate with the humble. And the fourth one is do not be wise in your own estimation. Uh, so the different, different translations put it like this. It says the first one, live in harmony with one another. Another way of saying this is live in peace with each other. Uh, another way of saying this is get along with each other. Uh, another way of saying this is consider everyone as equal. Uh, be sensitive to each other's needs. Uh, do not be proud, the second one. Uh, do not exalt yourself. Uh, the King James Version, I like it. Mind not high things. Mind not high things. Another translation, don't be stuck up. Uh, that's more kind of real. Don't be stuck up. Do not have a high opinion of yourselves. Don't think yourselves better than others. Uh, the, the third one, associate with the humble. Associate with people who have no status. You know, the, the, the tendency, the phrase in our society, it's not, it's not what you know, it's who you know. It's the idea that, you know, hang around with the people with the reputation, the people who know the right sorts of people, and you'll get, get along in life. This is saying hang, ar hang around with the people with no status. Uh, make humble people your friends. Uh, another translation said, accept humble duties. A different spin on it. Fourth one is this, do not be wise in your own estimation. Don't think you know it all. Uh, don't think that you're so smart. Another one said, don't be a pompous prat. So, that was mine, actually. That was mine. Um, but going, go, looking, at this, looking at this passage, this verse, the principle of it, what's coming out is humility. The idea of humility, what it means to be humble. Um, and you can see through chapter 12 as well, the, the other things that Paul talks about, he says, love without hypocrisy, love one another deeply patient in affliction, share with the saints. All of this needs the virtue of humility so it can occur. Love the stranger. Bless those who persecute you. It's humility that's needed, the virtue of humility. Do not repay evil for evil. Do not avenge yourselves. When I was thinking about humility, it, it reminded me of, um, I went on holiday a number of years ago and I went to a Barcelona and I went to the museum in Barcelona. Wonderful museum, lots of different artworks. And it was interesting to walk through. So as you walk through a museum, it's normally like in chronological order. You know, you get the oldest artworks and then going to the newest artworks. And in this museum, there was, um, it started off with Christian artwork that was around 1000 AD. So about 1000 years ago. Um, have you got the picture, Brian? 
So, so, this, so this picture here was of a church that had been excavated and they used this method to kind of take off the artwork and then bring it into the museum and it was massive, it was huge. But you can see here that the focus is upon, this is Jesus, this is what Jesus really looked like. And um, so this is Jesus and everything's focused around him. Have you got the next picture? So does anyone know what this is? This is the stoning of Stephen. So you might not think much of the artwork, but you can see these kind of eggs. It looks like they're throwing eggs at him rather than stones. And there's God's hand coming down. But the point being is like when you're looking at this artwork, you see that it's, it's, it's Christ-focused. It's biblical. It's kind of it's Bible-focused. Everything's around the Bible. Everything's around Jesus. Have you got the next picture? And as, so this is... Um, and I, I um, eyewitness of the ascension of Jesus. Uh, somebody was drawing this picture. So this, this, is go- this is going on into the Renaissance period, and you get Jesus rising, right? So it's still, it's starting to, at this time period, it's starting to move away from the focus of who God is, but it's still somewhat focused around it. So you still get this, this focus on Jesus. Have you got the next picture? As you, as you move through the time period, and you get to like the 1600s, 1700s, 1800s, 1900s, this one was called the siesta, this is me on a Sunday afternoon going, <laughs> but, it, but it starts to move away from God and it starts to focus upon people. So you start to get portraits, you know, self-portraits of people painting pictures of other people. Have you got the next picture? So you know this one, this is Picasso. This was in the museum. It's like a real small painting, but again, it's focused on the person. Kind of more abstract, but it's focused on people and it's moving away from God. And then we get to this point in time and so, and an important thing to understand is like when you look at the artwork, it's representative of what's important to the culture, right? It represents what's important to the culture. So when it's, when it's around Christ, when it's around God, you know that the foundation, for good or ill, foundation is it's around Christ, it's around Jesus, it's around the Bible. As it moves away and it moves towards paintings of people, then you know that the focus of that culture is changing and it's going into something else. Artwork is symbolic of the culture. So when I was reading about this, and um, it, was, it was interesting. Um, the, what <laughs> so going from the portrait of people, have you got the next picture? So going from the, the portrait of people, now what we have in our day and age is the selfie, right? And so the selfie is, there's 93 million selfies are taken each day, and on average, a person takes more than 450 selfies a year. I would suggest to you that that's something symbolic of our culture. It means something, right? It's the focus on, I'm not saying selfies are bad. I always take selfies on my phone. No, I don't. And, um, <laughs> But, um, but, but it means something when the selfies are, when people are taking pictures, when the focus is on self, when you're thinking about humility, it's, it, it's, it's starting to take away from the idea of humility, it's focused on self. So when I was reading about this as well, with the selfie, you actually have about, this, this, apparently this is true, since about 2010, 2011, 250 people have died taking self- selfies. And they're just the ones that they know about. Because if somebody's driving and taking a selfie, you know, kind of like, who knows if they were taking a selfie or not. So 250 people have died taking selfies. Um, most often, drowning, washed away, falling out of a boat. Um, in, in Russia, they actually brought out a brochure that warns against taking selfies with animals on rooftops and with exposed live wires. Never... <laughs> <laughs> never take selfies around exposed life. Why? In other countries, there's actually no selfie zones, right, being established in tourist areas to stop people from taking pictures of themselves. So this is a lady, anyways, this is a dangerous selfie. She's leaning off the side of this building. Have you got the next one? So this guy, here's the selfie, right? 
Things like that, he's, he's gone, right? And, and another statement was this, another fact about this is that there's more chance of dying from a selfie now than a shark attack. More chance of, have you got the next picture? This guy's doubling his chances of death. His, <laughs> have you got the next one? And this is the shark joining in <laughs> with, with the selfie. But it, it says something, doesn't it, about our culture. That if people are focused on self, then where's the humility? We're moving away from the idea of what humility is. So the question that came to my mind is, what is humility? What does it, what does it mean? And uh, people give different definitions, different statements. They'll say things like, humility is the quality of being modest, unpretentious, having a low view of one's own importance or abilities. Some people say the quality of having a modest or low view of one's importance. Some people say freedom from pride or arrogance. Another person says it's the realization that you're nothing. So maybe you agree with that, maybe you don't. Um, one that you often hear in Christian circles is this, is that humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. So not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. Um, the, the challenge that I think with these statements is that they're words. They're just words. Uh, what that means to me can mean something completely different to you. It can be subjective, right? So it's like, well, I think this is humility. Well, I think that's humility. I think to find out what humility is, is to really to look at a person. And you, can, you might be able to think about people in your life who have kind of embodied humility. You know, you might think about your mother, your father, people from past generations. You might think of yourself. You know, you might think, man, I'm so humble. I'm the most humblest person. You know, you might look at me and think, Jason's the most humblest person you've ever met. And I would say, you're 100% right. Um, so humility is hard, right? It's hard. It can be hard to define, but we often, when we see it, when we see it in someone, we know that it's humility. And so I think the greatest way to see humility is to look at Jesus. Jesus is the embodiment of humility. Jesus is what it means to be humble. And as I was um, thinking about this and thinking about humility, it was interesting um, uh, when I was researching this and reading into it, the idea of humility has changed. So over time, I think it's changing in our culture once again. We're moving away from the idea of humility. Uh, but also in the past, humility was viewed differently. So before Jesus Christ, before Jesus Christ came along in the Roman Empire, the Greco-Roman Empire, humility wasn't seen as a good thing. It was seen as a bad thing. It was seen as like, if, so if somebody, let's say if you have a slave and he was in the salt mine working away, that guy would be the humble guy. But it, would be, it wouldn't be a compliment. It'd be like, this guy's the scum of the earth. This guy, this guy is, he's nothing, he's dirt. That's the idea of humility. So nobody wanted to be humble. Nobody liked the idea of humility. In fact, the, the, the virtue in Roman society would have been one of honor and reputation. I want the honor. Look at me, look at the skills, look at the gifts I have. Give me the honor, give me the reputation. That was the, that was the virtue. Aristotle aspired to this sort of stuff. He was like, this, this, is, this is the... This is the most pleasurable thing in society to receive honor and reputation. Jesus Christ comes along and he flips it completely upside down on its head and now humility becomes the virtue. So you can think about what happened with Jesus. Jesus associated with the lowly, associated with the humble. Then he goes to the cross and dies this humiliating death on the cross, crucified, brutal, and yet he's given honor. So he flips it, he kind of turns the tables upside down on their head and then comes about the third century, fourth century when, when the Roman Empire embraces Christianity and all of a sudden humility is the virtue, it's the thing to be aspired to. When I was thinking about this as well, I watched a film the other day. Um, who's seen Cars? Anyone seen Cars? Have you got the, have you got the picture? 
for those of you who don't know. So this is, so this is 2006. This is animation film, so if you've got kids or grandkids, watch Cars, good film. What happens, in the, what happens in this film is this guy at the front, the red car, that's Lightning McQueen. Lightning McQueen is so boastful, he's so prideful, he's the best of the best at racing, he just smashes everyone. And all of a sudden, he, he kind of ties in one race. I'm trying to remember the stories I've got here. Ties in one race. And then what happens then, he, um, they've got to go to the grand, fina grand final, grand finale. And on the way there, he's in the back of this truck, which he travels in, and he falls out the back of the truck and he gets lost. And he ends up in this town called Radiator Springs. And Radiator Springs is kind of, you've got all these kind of country bumpkins. You can see the rusty, the rusty pickup truck next to him. And he kind of, he doesn't like, he kind of, he doesn't, he doesn't fit in with these people. He doesn't like these people. And you think about what Paul's saying here, associate with the humble, associate with the lowly. And he's in this town. And when he first arrives there, he, he kind of gets into a bit of an accident. He rips up the road, tears up the road and wrecks everything. And then they kind of humiliate him in repairing the road. He's forced to repair the road, and in doing so, he learns humility. It's like he learns the discipline of humility. And just a wonderful, a wonderful story, and then at the end of it, you know, that these guys actually become his best friends. The humble become his best friends. The guys who he used to associate with, all kind of boasting about their own skills and everything like, he learns to associate with the humble. The reason why I tell you that, so I just, I, I, I always blows my mind when you're watching a film this is 2006, so, the, so the, you can see the different animation films now are changing their direction of what's virtuous and what's a vice. 2006, Christ, Christ dies on the cross 2,000 years ago, and you've got an animation film here that doesn't recognize God. For all I know, I don't know if the director's a Christian or not. I, I would assume that he's not. Secular film representing the ethics, the virtues in society of which Christ instilled. I think that's wonderful. I think it's amazing. You know, you think of a society that's moving away from God, rejecting God, but we can't get away from this idea that humility is a virtue, even though many of us aren't very good at practicing it. So, so what does it look like? What does humility look like? And where do we see it? I used to be, um, I used to be a cobbler, uh, fixing shoes, cutting keys, and uh, this was when I first came, came to Australia. I was a cobbler for a few years. And, uh, and I would work in different suburbs. Uh, so I would work in Midland, I would work in Floriot, I'd work in Carina, work in the city. And it was really interesting to see the, the different people in the different suburbs. I want to be careful what I'm saying here. But the different people in the different suburbs, when I was in Floriot, when I'm in Carina, what would happen is that people would come to the store, they'd put the shoes on the, on the counter, they'd say, I'll be back in 20 minutes. I'll be back in 20 minutes. So will you? <laughs> and um, and the, the high expectations. They will come. They've got very high expectations. Their standards, uh, what they're kind of betraying. Perhaps not the most humblest of people. Now, broad generalization. Of course, there's many humble people in Florida and Karen. Broad generalization. But when I'm in Midland, when I'm in Midland, people will come up to the counter and they'll be like, oh, you've got these shoes. When can I pick them up? Oh, i pick them up tomorrow. Are you sure? I can come back next week. And... Um, and, and there was something about, I loved working in Midland. And coming from, you know, like in Florida, Karen, maybe they see this kind of dirty shoe man handling people's sweaty shoes. And this can often happen in retail broadly, that when people go to retail stores, sometimes people think they're better than. You're here to serve me. You're here to serve me. And they don't get the respect that they should deserve as equals as human beings. But in Midland, it doesn't happen. People stop, have a conversation, lay their shoes down, how's life, they're open, they're vulnerable. I don't know if I would describe it as humility, but I'd definitely describe it as grounded. It appears to be more grounded. And I think, I could be wrong in this, but I think the reason why is that the more affluent, 
the more wealthy, the smarter that we are, the less humble we can become. Sometimes we think of it as a blessing, but it can actually be a curse. To be smart can be a curse because what it does, it pulls us away from God. God resists the proud. He gives grace to the humble, affluence, wealth, and things like that. And we do live in a very affluent country, and it's so easy to rely on what we have instead of God. The more that we have, the more it moves us away from God. God resists the proud, but he gives grace, he gives grace to the humble. So when I was thinking about humility, I thought it'd be important to try and not stay too abstract, but give some examples of what humility can look like in our lives. Most importantly, though, I think the first thing that's always, I said this last time I spoke, when we're thinking about, when we're thinking about the do's and the don'ts of Christianity, the ethics, the morals, the virtues of Christianity, it is not just giving us a to-do list. It is not just saying, well, do this, and then all of a sudden you become humble. Do this, and you're doing the right. Do this, and you'll gain favor. The reason why we do things is always from the motivation of the love of, of the, from the love of God, which he has shown us. This is what Paul shows in his writings. Every single time he explains what God has done for us, what Jesus Christ has done on the cross, how he's been crucified, resurrected, and then he says, therefore, because of what God has done for you, we go out and do this. Because of God's love, because of his grace, because of his compassion, we go and do this. So one of the things that are to keep in mind as I'm reading these out, the temptation, <laughs> temptation can be to think, man, I know someone just like this. <laughs> you know, I, I, if only Bob was here today. You know, Bob would hear this and man, he would be more humble. You know what's happening there? Pride. Pride is coming. I'm better than so-and-so. I'm better than this. I, I do this. So let me read these. First one is this. Signs of humility. Can we laugh at ourselves? Do we have the ability to be able to laugh at ourselves? Or do we take things so seriously? Do we do things in life and kind of we're tortured by the things? Can we laugh? Can we laugh at the things in life that we do? Do we take ourselves too seriously? The second one is this. Are we quick to admit when we've made a mistake? Are we quick to admit when, when we've done something wrong? Are we quick to admit it or do we become defensive? You know, it's not me, it's you. It's because of this, it's because of that. And even if, even if we've been, let's say if an injustice has happened and we've been wrongly accused, is there a time just to step back and say, I'll take it? This is Jesus. Jesus was a victim. In one sense, Je Jesus didn't play his victimhood, but he was the greatest victim and he stepped into it wrongly accused but went to the cross third one is this are we a learner are you always trying to learn from others no matter who they are no matter what walk of life they come from how old or young are you a learner are you listening even children i think of my son Knox. am i learning from him what's he teaching me what can a three-year-old teach me you know we're thinking about animation films one of the things that's interesting to me is that the newer ones now what you see, if you watch How to Train a, if you like these films, if you watch How to Train a Dragon or if you watch Moana and things like that, the idea in these films is that you have the younger person and the younger person is showing to the old people that they don't know what they're talking about. Now, that's generally not true. You know, normally you have to listen to your elders, but the, but, but the danger in this is that it's teaching young children that they know best and then not to listen. Your traditions, the things of the past, they're nonsense. Let's, let's forget that and let's move on. These are the things that have been taught in films now. Um, another one, uh, do we pretend to have knowledge that we don't? You know when you're talking to someone and they just know everything, everything about everything, even if they don't know, talking about you know, space, the universe, and all of a sudden they're an expert, it's like, so do we, do we pretend to have knowledge? Do we say, oh, I don't know. Next one, do you feel the need to win every single argument? Um, this is my wife. Um, <laughs> it's a joke, it's me, it's me. 
I was going through my mind and I was like, do I say that? No. It's gone. It's gone. Um, apologies. I'm humbled. Yeah. I'll be humbled later. Um, another one. Do we, do we delight in the success of others or are we more overjoyed with our own accomplishments? Do we have the tendency to kind of look at me, look what I've done, man. And it's like, there's nothing wrong with doing something and working hard and being proud of it, but is that our tendency or do we want other people to be elevated? Look at this other person, look what they've done, you know, and put ourselves, kind of humble ourselves in this. Are we open about our fears and vulnerabilities? Uh, we, are we open about our emotions? This is vulnerability. This is humility to be open about what's going on. People who often aren't open about themselves and open about their emotions, it can be pride. It's pride that I'm not going to let you know because that way I'm going to show you that I'm weak. And yet what does the Apostle Paul say? In weakness, there's strength. In weakness, this God, God thrives in our weaknesses in one sense. Um, do we ask for help when we need it? Um, or are we ashamed that people might see a weakness? Um, are, we, are we quick to be offended? This is a society that's quick to be offended, triggered. Somebody says something and all of a sudden, bang, it's like the defenses come up, I'm triggered. You said something I don't like, I'm quick to be offended. That's pride, that's pride. The idea in that is that I'm never wrong. How dare you offend me because I'm right in this. It's pride, it's not humility. Um, Jesus was the, um, you know, all, all of this, the, the, the idea of the being the victim in one sense, I, I should elaborate on this as well, um, that in our society there is um, the tendency for people to be victims. There's a kind of a new tendency in the society, the victimhood, uh, the idea to claim that you're a victim. And there's a difference between being a victim and, and actually identifying as a victim. Jesus Christ was a victim, but he didn't identify. He was the greatest victim, right? But he didn't identify as a victim. He was victorious. And it's not that people don't get hurt in this society and have been hurt in the past, but to identify as a victim is pride because it becomes all about me. It's about me, my wants, my rights, my needs, and it stops being about the other, stops being about God. So God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Um, I heard a story about a fish the other day, and um, this fish was swimming, 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 and all of a sudden, bang, hits a concrete wall. What does the fish say? Damn. <laughs> that's not the swear word, that's the, it's, it's the actual damn. So, so he, and he hits the wall. The point being is this, that as we're swimming along, swimming in the grace of God, when there's a time, if there's times, not always, but if there's a time where you feel disconnected from God, where's God in my life? Where's God? There can be pride. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Like the fish swimming down, swimming, 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 it hits the wall of pride. When we feel that God's not there, when he's distant, it's not always, it can be other things, but sometimes it can be because of pride. So there's two things to focus on here. First one is this. When thinking about humility, the focus on the embodiment of humility Focus on the embodiment of humility. Um, I'm distracted. <laughs> um, so the first one is this, focus on it, which is Jesus. Jesus is the embodiment 
of humility. You want to see humility is focus on a person, not abstract terms, not just words, not definitions, but you focus on the person of Jesus Christ. When you look at Jesus, Jesus didn't beat, uh, sometimes when people think about humility, they think about, you know, it's about beating yourself up, tearing yourself down, putting yourself, smashing yourself to the floor. That's not humility. Jesus never did that. Jesus knew who he was. He was the son of God. He submitted everything to the father. He went by the father's will, but he didn't tear himself down. Um, sometimes, you know, when we think about the lack of humility, we can think about somebody who's narcissistic, somebody who's really focused on themselves, everything's about them, and you say, this person's not humble. Equally, on the other side of things, if somebody's putting themselves down, one person said this, if somebody's tearing themselves down and just smashing themselves and don't, and don't really have any confidence in themselves, it's just an inverted form of self-obsession. It's another way of fixating on ourselves rather than directing our attention towards others and God. Just another way of fixating on ourselves. Jesus wasn't like this. He wasn't obsessed with himself. He was obsessed with the Father and the Father's will. That's what makes him humble. The more we focus, the, more, the example that I gave a couple of weeks ago was about Copernicus and, um, and the world and the, in our solar system, everything revolving around the sun. Everything, if we revolve around the sun, then we'll know humility. If everything's about him, we know humility. We'll become humble. The challenge with humility is this, though, is that it's not exactly like other sins. In a sense that you know when you, you know there's something you desire, you know, like if you're looking at the, the you know, if, you, if there's greed or something like that, if there's lust and things like that, you know that that's a temptation, you know that it's sin. The challenge with pride is that it's deceitful, it's deceptive. In other words, we don't know when we're being prideful. Sometimes we can't see it, our eyes are shut. Our, and so the only way through that is to hear, gather around the body of Christ, hear what other people are saying. If somebody has a critique of you, listen to it. They might be wrong, they might be right, but listen to it, humble yourselves and pray that God opens our eyes so that we can be humble before him. Pride is deceptive, pride is deceitful. Philippians chapter two, verses five to 11. This is from the message version and I think it explains what Christ did really well. Think of yourselves the way that Christ Jesus thought of himself. He had equal status with God, but didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of that status no matter what. Not at all. When the time came, he set aside the privileges of deity and took on the status of a slave and became human. Having become human, he stayed human. It was an incredibly humbling process. He didn't claim special privileges. He didn't claim to his rights, to his wants. He was humble. Instead, he lived a selfless, obedient life and then died a selfless, obedient death and the worst kind of death at that crucifixion. Because of that obedience, God lifted him high and honored him far beyond anyone or anything ever so that all created beings in heaven and on earth, even those long, long ago dead and buried, will bow in worship before this Jesus Christ and call out in praise that he is master of all to the glorious honor of God the Father. Second point is this, first one, focus on Christ, the embodiment of humility. The second point is this, to be humble is to focus on the bigger picture. If we get bogged down in life, we get bogged down in the context and the situation, then we'll be prideful. To look at the bigger picture, to step back. In other words, think about what Paul says here. Uh, Paul says in Romans 8.18, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. The present, sufferings are not wor- the, uh, uh, the present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. It's the idea of the bigger picture, looking back, stepping back, 
stepping back the bigger picture, looking at God's narrative, looking at God's redemption in your life, the question in every single situation that we encounter, if injustice has been committed against us, the question is, what can I learn from this? How can I show grace in this? How can I show humility in this instead of leaning towards, how can I defend myself? How can I make myself heard? You know how frustrating it is when you're trying to explain to people something and, uh, and you feel like you're not being heard, you're not being understood. It's aggravating, it's irritating and pride can rise up. Well, sometimes we've just got to step back, just humility. It's okay sometimes we're not heard. It's okay if people don't understand sometimes. That's okay. I'm looking to God. I keep my eyes on God. Keep my eyes on the bigger picture. Most important thing is this though. Most important thing is this. God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. If we want to draw close to God, we must be humble. If you want to go into the arms of God and if you want to, if you want to drive into the arms of God and the love of God, then there must be humility. Pride will always drive us away from him and he'll resist you. The lessons will become harder and harder and harder. Humble ourselves before God. This is what Paul is teaching in this. Don't be conceited. Don't have a high opinion of oneself. Associate with the humble. Do things that practice humility. Think about others. Care for others. Um, don't try and win every single argument. And um, whatever it is, but just be humble. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you, Lord, for your word, for your teaching, and I pray that this morning, I pray for myself, that the eyes of pride will be taken away, that any essence of pride in any of our hearts here, that you'll bring us to a point of humility that you will bring our eyes to be focused upon you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.